I was head of household, so I was fitting these roles that I felt that I should play, graduate college, go to corporate, you know, um, and drive by the deliverables of everything that the masks and roles and responsibilities told me to be. So fit in the box for being head of household, fit in the box for your corporate life, fit in the box for your motherhood, and here's your deliverables. Here's what you need to do. So in quarantine, I got furloughed, so I I'm, I'm, don't have to work right now, and I've stripped away, and my daughter actually doesn't live with me right now. So I have no motherhood, I have no head of household, I have no corporate job, like I have none of these roles that gave me the deliverables to drive by on a daily basis. So I really, I want to say I found myself lost, but I feel like lost has a negative connotation attached. I felt like it was an opportunity to strip away everything and resettle back into my body and a schedule of what my body wanted to do. Life is gonna give you challenges, struggles. It's gonna force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. Class is in session, about to learn a lesson in the game. We embrace the pain, take it and we make some change. Without scarcity, I don't know where I'll be. It's how we learn and now it's your turn. Let's get Welcome to the University of Adversity. Oh, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Super grateful to have you here. If this is your first time here, welcome to the family. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. My next guest is an aspiring author and public speaker to leading others to show up and shine in the eye of adversity. I love that. She is an amazing human being. And her story is going to blow you guys away. I'm not going to give away too much into this story because you're going to hear it for yourself. But Melanie Barrett is one of these people that has been through a lot. She was a mother at a young age and had to go through a lot of different things within her family. And she kind of went down the same path I did. Very toxic alcohol, substances, working in the nightlife industry, you know, and was immersed in it, right? And... She's one of these people that can really reflect and, and see, you know, what that situation was like for her. And now she knows that she's exploring her life in a different way. And I have even seen the change in her even since we met in the beginning of the year in Tulum, where we got to connect. We stayed in the same villa, had some laughs, had some cries, had some tequila. It was really, really fun. The family that we had there in that villa was amazing. And... The, the connections that we had got to have with the group was amazing also. You know, she's one of the many amazing humans from the Fit for Service Mastermind Aubrey Marcus Fellowship that I'm a part of for the year and that I'm going to be featuring once a week for the next how many months. Obviously, I can't feature everybody, but she's one of the ones I am featuring. And she's a really good friend of mine and I really, really respect her and I respect her story. So you guys are going to love it. You're going to get inspired. And, you know, sometimes when I hear people's stories, I put myself in the shoes of them and I think, fuck, I don't know if I could have done that. Like, I don't know if I could have handled being a young dad at 16, 17, 18. You know, even now, how could I be a dad? You know, I know I could be now, but it's like, it's still, it's that responsibility of you aren't the number one priority more. It's, it's the kid. And thinking about that as a teenager, late teen, early 20s even, man, it's tough. So 
Mel's got a great story. We go a little bit deep and I feel we really had a great conversation. And as you guys will see the caliber of human beings from the Aubrey Marcus fit for service that we're in are just amazing. And they inspire me. They all have such amazing stories, amazing projects, amazing businesses. And I'm still learning as I, I get to know them further about what they're up to. And it's really, really cool. So any of you guys listening out there from there, I love you guys. I appreciate you. Also, this is my selfish way to connect one-on-one and because <laughs> it's hard to connect with everybody, right? And it, I feel that being able to connect with a certain amount one-on-one really brings out a lot of value and I can help them share their stories, you know, become vulnerable. Every time we share our stories, we just, we peel back another layer, which we discover our true essence, our truth in our soul. So I just love to be able to do this and I'm super grateful for this journey. So it's enough of me talking. Yeah. Sit back, relax. Mel Barrett coming right up. Well, hello, Mel. How are you today? I'm so good. It's so nice to see you, Lance. You too. What are you drinking in the cup? Let's uh, let's have a look. This is my um, mermaid cup. Your mermaid cup, and I got the flamingo cup. Cheers. Mine's coffee. Yours Cheers. is matcha. I think matcha tea. Coffee, right. I've just been like an obsessed weirdo with matcha lately. Well, that's good. I know. I saw that you had cut coffee out. I'm not going to rain on your parade, but green tea has twice as much caffeine, doesn't it? Yeah, but it's a different delivery to the body. You know, oh. like you don't get the because it's from the L-theanine mm. and there's more of that in there. I don't know the science of it. I just know how I how it makes me feel. It doesn't give me that weird crash later in the day. It like yeah. gives me just like a it just it's just like an even feel all day. Well, that's you know, it's like a it's like a cleaner burn rather than the coffee where it's like super hot and cold for me. Whatever yeah. we can do to stay normal, right? I feel like we put things in our body to go a certain way. And when we go that certain way, we just wish we were flattened again. So whatever we can do to feel normal, right? That's so true. It's yeah. so true. It's like we want to, you want to get the edge and you want to feel really good. But then kind of, you're always, it's kind of like a balancing act all the time. And it's, it's like with coffee, I'll have it and I'll be like, yeah, I feel great. And then I'll be like, shit. Yeah. And then, and then literally I was, uh, I was timing, I was timing my interviews and my conversations with people yeah. with my coffee. Yeah. So I would be like, okay, I have to, first of all, I have to have a coffee right before my interview. And then I don't want to have too much because then I'm going to crash for the next one. And if I have a third one, then I'm real, I'm burnt out. And if I don't go to the gym earlier in the day, then I have no, my adrenals are fried by the evening. So I'm like, that's it. <laughs> yeah. And you know what's interesting? It's like, I've already had my morning coffee, but it's almost ritualistic that when I have something to do on the computer, I start by making sure there's a fresh pot of coffee and I'll find myself not even touching it. I go, I, you know, I go to do the dishes three hours later when I'm done with whatever I committed to. And I'm like, oh yeah, I brewed that coffee. I guess I didn't need it. Yeah. It's probably that the smell too. It's like a nice, it's like a nice uh, aroma in the air, air or whatever. You're getting started ritual <laughs> for me. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the, it's nice to have rituals and we'll get into all that because I think they're super important and they're massively important in, on a lot of people's lives. So let's, um, let's talk about what's going on right now. What's your, what's your take on everything? What's going on with uh, the, what's the date right now is April 29th. We're in the midst of it all. Talk, yeah, us, talk us through what's going on in your life right now with this whole sure. thing. 
Well, if you're pertaining to the pandemic, right, which is not what I want to talk about because um, I'm in such a peaceful place around mm. it all, I'm mm. personally finding so much joy in the stillness. But we just found out, I'm in the Bay Area, California, mm -hmm. about 20, 30 minutes outside of San Francisco, and we just found out that we're sheltering in place another 30 days. So. Mm. I'm jumping for joy around that because I had planned on, once the shelter in place gets lifted, I planned on staying in shelter in place for the next 30 days because I'm on a fast track with certain initiatives in my life and really just want to hone in. And I've got an extra 30 days to do that before I have an invitation to come back from furlough or not from work. Mm. So my hope, my hope is that I, if I get the invitation, I don't take it, but you know, We'll see how it goes. Yeah, but see, that's, your, that's a beautiful perspective on what's going on right now. It doesn't have to be a conversation about, you know, what they want us to talk about. There's a lot of positive things, and I'm seeing it in a lot of people's lives, including yours. Like you've, you know, when we talk and I see what you're up to during this time. And I'm having so much fun. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing though, right? Like you either, you, you're either a person that sees the opportunity or you don't right? You're a victim of your circumstances or you, you create something out of it. And actually, I think I put that in your questionnaire. You're like, which question do you think, do you wish you were asked more? And I'm like, God, I've never thought about it that way. But I think that just speaks to my mental, you know, my mind frame that it's not of lacking. It's not of scarcity. I don't really wish anything was asked of me more. I'm good with how it is. <laughs> yeah. I like to, I, you know, it's funny because I, I give those questions to people just to kind of get them thinking. Mm -hmm. And, and it's good. Cause a lot of people are like, Oh, I was, I was like, I was challenged by those. And I'm like, you know what? It's, I just go through them and just have a quick scan, you know, because nothing is scripted on here, but it's really good because it gets puts people in the place of like, oh, okay. You know, it's, it, it, it's, Temper it's the temperature, temperature gauge. Absolutely. Yeah. So, all right. So for everybody just kind of learning about you, I mean, we're part of the fit for service, you know, fellowship mastermind. It's been an incredible few months so far. And you're one of the people that I've really wanted to connect with and, you know, have on the show for a while since we met. So let's, let's take it back. Let's, I want to hear your story. Cause I know there's so many different things that we could, so many different avenues that we can go and however it flows, it flows. But like, let's go back to your childhood. Walk us through childhood and tell us your story, a little bit about how you got to where you are today. Okay, let's go. Um, so my childhood, um, my name is Melanie Joy. And through my childhood, I was very opposite of anything joyous. Um, my dad says that I, I was a scheduled C-section June 4th, 1984, he said that I was forced out of the womb too early and I've been pissed off ever since. And that's pretty much how I lived my childhood, just pissed off. And um, I'm doing a lot of inner child work now, so I reflect on it a little bit differently. But yeah, I was very unhappy. The climate that I lived in was, home wasn't a safe place at all, by no means. My mom was a therapist. Everything was very analytical um, from the perspective of what's wrong. So every day I feel like I woke up and the first question was, you know, the climate of the household was, well, what's wrong with you? Yeah. And in turn, you're like, it's just the power of words to sit, to wake up and say what's wrong versus waking up and saying what's right. 
I mean, you can start your day two different ways. Oh, so yeah. That was the, the mind frame that I lived in. My dad was, um, he's from North Carolina. He's a redneck. He's a Vietnam vet. There's a lot of PTSD from his end being projected in the household. So it was very unpredictable what we were going to face on a daily basis. Um, I had a brother. I do have a brother. He was very abusive. So just my overall childhood um, wasn't safe. Love was harmful, hurtful. Love was harsh. And I developed um, an alchemy. That's just kind of what it was. And I had to accept it for being just that. Um, as well as at the same time of accepting that love was harsh, I also, I can accept it, but I have to protect myself from it. So there's a very war going on within myself of like, accepting love is harsh, home not being a safe place. And then that exhibited in different ways from a very young age. I think by the time I was 11, I had started cutting by the time I was 12, I had attempted suicide for my first time, and my parents knew nothing, hmm. which was the interesting part uh, that I know of. So that, that's kind of how I was raised. I started numbing probably by the time I was 13. I started smoking a lot of pot. I started drinking around the age of 12. I started running away from home by the age of 11. So that, that's kind of the dynamic that I, I lived in. And I've been unpacking a lot of that recently and finding a lot of love and compassion and appreciation and understanding of the child that, that still kind of lives within me that was used to that state, unpacking it, deconstructing it, and then reconstructing it to look something different here moving forward. Yeah, the, uh, the inner child is a big one. Huge. I think it's it's something that I've been really diving into and I was just in did a deep Reiki session, 90 minutes, and she was like, You need to like really keep doing what you're doing. And I was like, What? You you know that I she could literally see like the work. She's like, There needs to be more. So I love that you talk about that because so much of what's created for us happens at a young age and we don't realize no our parents don't even realize it. People do now, they kind of understand, but like especially parents that are disconnected i mean were your parents were they older when they had you or were they were they younger parents or were they my parents were older in their 30s mid 30s and okay. again not only were they older but my parents were raised in the backwoods of the south so my mom's from north carolina mm -hmm. my dad's from virginia and they were now at a later age raising their kids in california so not only was there an age gap, but there was a total just cultural um, gap as well, that it's almost as if they could not relate to what we were going through growing up in California with all the ethnicities and just, just a totally different climate than what they were raised in. And I'm actually diving into right now a little bit more on my dad and the traumas the generational traumas that are passed down. Because mm. if I look back and I think about what kind of traumas my dad were raised in, they were the same traumas that he raised us in. Yeah. And uh, his mom was mean, love was harsh, home wasn't a safe place. Like, I don't even think that he would come to you and admit any of that, but I can see it now that I have this kind of expanded awareness of like what is actually going on. And then the vocabulary to put to it, right? Like he 
Yes. Wouldn't even know how to describe it, that it wasn't anything but normal and exactly what it should have been. Mm. It's that generation, right? And I, I was talking to my mom about this too. And I've even told her, I said, it's okay, mom. You know, I gave you a hard time for so many years, but you, you and dad only did what you were taught. You only, you did your best with what you had, right? Yeah. And, and now looking back, they came from such a different generation. And even now you say it's so interesting how different the South is from California and, and the timing of when, you know, you would have been born and it must've been just a real chaotic, you know, situation for the, it's completely different cultures. Yeah. And there was a lot of tiptoeing around my dad's alcoholism and there was a lot of tiptoeing around his PTSD. And there was a lot of justification from my mom's end being a mm. therapist of, oh, yeah. well, he is the way that he is because X, Y, and Z. And so therefore it's justified that he is that way. And that was reflected in, you know, relationships in, in adulthood that X, Y, and Z was acceptable because that's just how he was. So it's interesting to see how her enablement like manifested in my own enablement of relationships, you know, having relationships with the avoidant, the narcissistic, the sociopathic types, because I could justify it as, you know, X, Y, and Z. And that's what normal. That's what you know. Right. And it's pretty interesting because your mom was a therapist, right? Like, so that's, that's fascinating because even what she was taught was probably an old, philosophy as well. Like, like there's a lot of like things that have evolved over time and like, what was that like? So this is super interesting. So what was that like growing up with a mom as a therapist? And then how do we even like unpack that? Like, well, I mean, think about yourself and like for me working in a corporate job, that's like high pressure and all of these things that are thrown at, thrown, thrown at us on a daily basis in the occupational space. And then we go home. And we're supposed to not bring any of that home. But you've lived in it for eight, for eight, nine, ten hours. She would work her schedule so that she worked 10-hour days, four days a week. And then, and she was dealing with kids in the system. So she was dealing with a lot of kids that were forced the hand of therapy because of their traumas and current situations. And how was she not supposed to bring any of that fear back home with her? Totally. You know? And so I think a lot of that was subconsciously projected on how we were raised as kids in this fear-based, paranoid kind of state. Yeah. I remember I was in sixth grade and I was on the basketball team and I've always been very independent. So, you know, it's both good and bad, but whatever. Um, I wanted to walk home from basketball practice. And so I kind of forced that saying, no, I want to walk home. And it seems like such an innocent, it was an innocent effort of just creating an independence for myself. And I walked home and that night I came home, my mom came home from work and she's like, I saw you walking home. You went into a boy's house. You were kissing a boy. You did this. You're bad. You're bad. You're bad. You're bad. You're bad. Just shame, 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 shame. And it's like, that's not even what happened. And I'm, I remember thinking like, you couldn't have seen me do that because I literally just walked home, but there was no truth telling or, or accepting of the truth from my end. Like she mm. knew what she knew and that was it. And now I was bad and I was bad. 
Yeah. And then you get into the shame versus guilt aspect, which I've been studying a lot lately. Whereas if you raise your children with a lot of shame, as in you are bad versus guilt, the thing you did was bad, but we can work our way out of it. If you are bad, there's really no crawling out of that hole. That is just who you are. Mm. And so then you embody this shame face and kind of deconstructing all that shame. Um, has been quite the road as well. Was there denial? Like, was she, because she works with so many kids, like, was there a denial that you, like, was there that disconnect? Because parents always want to deny that their kids are up to no good, right? It's like, well, no, not, not my little angel. Not my well, little angel. My mom angel. was full frontal. My kids are the devils. I raised Oh, her. really? Oh, she's like, you act just like your dad. You know, you're the redneck. You got that from your dad. My kids are hellions. And we were hellions before I knew what a hellion was. So that was just the role that I took on because that's what I was told I was. Right. You know, and being told that. So you're like, well, fuck it. I might as well just, Oh, I might as well just be it. That's exactly what happened. So by the time high school hit, I mean, I was lucky if I went to three out of six classes because I was a hellion, I was a rebel and I was bad. And you know, I was smoking weed and drinking and, um, you know, I ended up having my daughter by the age of 18 because of the path that I was on. Mm. So yeah, being bad was really ingrained in me that I was yeah. bad. And so with that said, Lance, my, my parents are still together. And through the Temescal that we did in Tulum, the sweat lodge, oh, yeah. during the third door of that ceremony, the grandfather door, I really heard a paternal voice come in, letting me know, because like I told you, I didn't feel like home was the same place and this a safe place. And this voice came in and it said, you were protected, my child. I loved you from the best of my capability, from the best of my capacity, from the best that I knew how you were loved and you were protected. And I just described the household that I was in, but to your point, like they were doing the best that they could, they consciously knew how to do. Yeah. You know, and they're still together and they're, they're great people and they live in their world and, and to each is their own. And I love them for what that, what they are. But I think that's the journey is also learning to love things for exactly what they are, not what you think they should be. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I've got a lot from learning from Aubrey is like the acceptance and the loving of, the giving the love to the thing that may not be considered good or bad, but just loving it for what it is, the actual acceptance of the thing, because a lot of times that resistance and that energy we put towards being angry or hating or pushing it away is what we need to lean into, right? Yeah. And as soon as you get comfortable with that, then it doesn't have the power anymore. So, and it's like that with parents, you know, like I used to get so mad at my mom for leaving my dad and me and my dad moved away and it fucked up my whole teenage years. I was so emotionally messed up and I got mad at her and I'd always accuse her of cheating on my dad and all years and I just put her through hell and I just, now I'm like, wow, like she was just doing her best with what she had. Yeah. Like, it's like, totally, you know, and I actually feel bad for my mom because we were such hellions. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> no, right? This poor woman, you know, yeah. like, as much as it may have been influenced and projected from a fear-based stance from her, she was doing the best that she could and she was kind of left yeah. to deal with a couple of rebels, you know? Yeah. And, um, it's a beautiful story because 
the, she had a horrible relationship with her teenagers, right? It was me right. and my teenagers. It, for me, especially, I can speak for myself, I had a horrible relationship with my parents. I had a daughter at 18. My daughter is now 17 years old. She's graduating high school and going off to college. And my mom and my daughter have had the most just best relationship. It's like she got a second hand at it. And I'm just so thankful. Amazing. I'm so thankful for that, that she got the opportunity to experience it in a different life, a different light. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. What was it? Okay. Walk us through like when you first found out that you were pregnant at that young age, because I remember when I was younger and there were certain kids in school, like I remember one girl got pregnant at 15 and one was at, and everyone's like, that's it. Your life's over. You're done. You're, and everyone had this like real, like there was this real like negative fear-based mentality. I mean, you're a kid, right? Yeah. What was your feeling like when you first found out? Like what, walk us through like when it was, you're like, wow, I'm going to be a mom. Like, yeah. So just to, to, I'll get, I'll get back to the story, but to dive right in, I got exactly what I needed and I got exactly the motivation I needed because in becoming a teen mom, I remember there was like a click in my brain because I was such a rebel. There was a click in my brain that I am not going to be a teenage statistic statistic. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. My life is not over. You know, I, I had my daughter before I had a high school degree or a college degree. I didn't have a job. I didn't have my, I had nothing, but I had wow. a kid. And um, there, it was like a click that um, I made the decision that I'm not going to be that teenage um, statistic. And it really set me on um, this journey of trying to influence others because knowing that I could do it after I put myself through college. I wanted to be this public resource for other teenage moms to tell them like, dude, it's so cool. You don't have to be a statistic. Like this is, it's awesome. This is not the end. So anyways, I digressed, but to, to take it back. I love it. I found out I was pregnant. I have to set the tone that right before I found out I was pregnant, I had just had a pretty traumatic miscarriage. So I was 17. I hadn't had, I hadn't had my menstrual cycle for four months. It took everything that I had to, to, to muster up the courage to my mom, who I have a terrible relationship to say, I need to go to the doctors. And this isn't when I'm pregnant with my daughter. This is the miscarriage pregnancy. So if she takes me to the doctors and we're sitting at the, um, in the doctor, in the doctor's chair and he has the vaginal ultrasound and we're actually looking at the fetus on the screen and he was measuring the fetus. And he goes to tell me, um, all right, so you haven't menstruated for four months. From the size of this fetus, it looks like it's about two months old. So the baby doesn't have a heartbeat. So go home. You're going to have a miscarriage. And I just remember thinking, what a failure. Mm. You've been carrying around a dead fetus in your womb for two months based on the timing. And you couldn't even do that right. Oh. And I went home and, I, and it, I was crying and it did. It's crazy how just the, the knowing what the doctor told me caused a miscarriage that night. So I was in a very traumatic, just broken, you know, place with a lot of emotions that I didn't have the vocabulary to express because I had already been so enthralled in my coping mechanisms of numbing with alcohol and weed up to that point that I wouldn't have even known how to how to voice what I was feeling or feel what I was feeling. Mm. So 
November 15th, 2002 came around and I was still recovering from the miscarriage and my child's father, it was his birthday and through a guilt trip kind of persuaded me to, to have sex with him for his birthday. And I rolled over in bed and I got pregnant with my daughter that night. And so from there, my bed was made. I had felt like such a failure from that miscarriage abortion or anything along those lines like there was no way i was gonna abort this kid by choice after what i had just felt by accident you know mm -hmm. and so that's that's the bet i made and and it really set really changed the trajectory of my life mm. ever since yeah wow so having a teenage daughter man i can't even imagine i <laughs> wow how how important is it for you in raising her now to really like how important has it been to kind of nurture that inner child in her and even now more so because you know like that impact of like how much it can affect you even later on in your 30s and 40s and 50s right people are unpacking shit that they have no idea about so understanding that how i was raised with what i just shared with you that home wasn't a safe place we didn't say i love you we didn't hug we didn't kiss we didn't show affection we didn't do any of those things in my childhood so having a child as a child, I, you either decide to, well, you either subconsciously remain the same or you, you make a decision to be different. And I made that decision to be different and I held her and I told her I loved her a thousand times over again every single day. And just really, it's, it's funny because in nurturing her growing up, I was also nurturing that inner child and what she didn't have growing up. So it was almost like, and I'm just actually having this thought process as I'm talking with you yeah. that I was kind of re-raising my own inner child by showing both of us all of the love that we never got, that we never felt we received. Well, that is essentially what you're doing, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's amazing. So, as I was raising her, she was raising me. And we were like just a team moving forward, you know, and it's funny because now she's going off to college and she's starting this second chapter of her life. And it's funny cause I'm starting the second chapter of my life, you know, and we're doing it in parallel paths separately as together is all we've really known. So it'll be interesting how the next couple of years pan out cause I'm starting over and she's starting over, but now we have to do it apart rather than together. She must love having a young, cool mom though. Like she must I mean, love I think she does, you know, like, I'm sure you know how growing up, there's like the cool, the cool parents. I'm You're sure definitely one of those asked ones. for her sometimes, <laughs> I mean, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause some parents were so naive. It's like, and you and never some, know how she's going to digest that though. For sure. For sure. Right. For sure. You never know. Because like I said, my parents were doing the best that they could mm. and I digested it. However I did. Yeah. And, and it's going to be the same for her. She, yeah. she might not like that my mom's hot uh, Instagram yeah, page true. that the teenage boys go and look at. I mean, you don't that's know true. what you're manifesting in your children. The point is just <laughs> to do the best with what you've got. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to go a bit deeper with you here. Uh-oh. Tell us about your relationship with your brother. Oh. Hmm. So I haven't spoken to him in two years as for this go around. There's a lot that I haven't unpacked there. So hmm. he was very violent and he was very abusive. And that's the childhood. That's, that's, the, that's what I walked away with. 
Honestly, Lance, I don't think he saw it that way. And that's What's easy. the age difference? Two Just years. Two years, okay. They say there's these things, there's this thing with like sibling rivalry and they tell parents that are having children and they're on their second child to really pay attention to that first child because there might be a form of jealousy that manifests once the second child is born. So you really have to teach that first older child to be gentle, to protect, you know, like the positive qualities of how they should treat this younger sibling. Well, in my household, you know, it was like, like redneck hiatus. I mean, it was a gunslinging show left and right. Just like he was sphincter boy and I was piglet, you know what I mean? Like those were our nicknames. Like, so I don't, I, I don't know if it started there. He's given me um, an apology throughout the years where he honed in, and I don't want to share too much of his story, but he honed in on a particular point in his life as a teenager where he says that he remembered he started hating women and he apologized to me for it because he feels like that at that point it was projected onto me. Well, that happened when he was a teenager. You had been beating the shit out of me every day prior to that. So I don't know if he realizes that it didn't start at that traumatic experience that he then apologized for, but it actually was, it was way before that. And in unpacking it and trying to think about it, um, maybe there was that sense of sibling jealousy there that, that he subconsciously manifested and felt like I was more of a threat than somebody he should protect. So I haven't spoke with him in two years. It's an open loop. And uh, it's two years this go around because every couple of years we do this and we've, we've never been close. This last, this last blowout, I kind of had this realization of, uh, dude, you're not in my life anyway. So if you're going to abuse me, the very verbally, you know, whatever, if you're going to show those, and it's a childhood trigger for me. He is a childhood trigger for me. Of course. You know, so until I can lean into him without it bothering me, I can't really lean into him at all at this point. I've got to unpack my other stuff before I can go into mending that relationship. So, yeah, I don't know if I answered your question, but what more do you want to know about no, that's, it? That's, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because the sibling, the, the sibling battle is a real thing. And, you know, my brother was seven years older than me and he used to beat the, the shit out of me. But like, I, in, like to him, I probably thought it was playful. We're fine now, but yeah, it happens, you know, and it's, it's, it's some is worse than others and some get affected by it more. And it all really depends on the environment you're growing up in. Right. Right. Like it's, a, it's a really, it's a really crazy thing because there's that playful side where, you know, you're just, you know, you're kidding around, but then it gets to the point where it's like, wait a minute, this is like way out of control. Like this is like, well, I remember so- I had gotten in a fight when I was a teenager and I, I beat the crap out of this chick, you know? And it was on video and I brought the video back home to my parents. Like it was something proud because that's uh, the type of things that those were the type of things to be proud of. That's they got in the fight and she won and she won because I taught her how. Yeah. And you would bring that into the playground, right? Like I was the same. I would go and beat kids up and I'd like get excited. I wouldn't say I was a bully. I, I, in that particular situation, I was kind of cornered into a fight. I didn't really yeah. fight. I, I was very, um, I wasn't, I wasn't a bully. I was a hurt child. Yeah. I was hurt. Um, so, but 
he was so proud that I had won that fight because he taught me how, because I mean, you used to beat the crap out of me every day. So thanks for teaching me how to fight. Yeah. Kind of asked backwards, but it's just funny how that comes light. Now I don't want to make him out to be a monster. He, um, he's got two degrees now. I'm, I'm proud of him for what he's done in his life. He's, he's also a vet. He actually helps he helps veterans reacclimate back into society and dealing with their wounds. So he's doing a lot of work for a lot of people. It's awesome. Hopefully one day we can get to doing the work for each other. Yeah. And he's doing his best, right? I mean, that's the thing. Like you may be able to learn from each other a lot more than you realize now too, right? As you guys start to, and he may lean on you later on, you know, because you're growing, you're, there's a lot happening, you know, for you. I learned a lot about forgiveness with my brother. Yeah. And I learned a lot about forgiveness doesn't actually have to include at like a physical face value, the other person. Mm. Forgiveness is a self-serving act and it can happen within you minus them. Yeah. And if you can really tap into the forgiveness of forgiving people without external validation of them needing to know that you forgave them, that's powerful. Well, yeah, because you're the one holding, it has nothing to do with them really, right? Like, it's like you're, hold, you're, you're holding the poison and expecting the other person to die, right? Drinking the poison. It's like, yeah. it's like holding a grudge. Like, what is the point in a breakup or, or whatever? As much as we want them to feel it, we want to be like, fuck you. I want you to feel what I feel. They don't. No. And it's, it's like you're story. the one suffering from it. It's our story. Yeah. Because like I said, he doesn't probably remember. He doesn't have that takeaway from childhood that I, that I did. Yeah. That I do. And so that's for me to deal with. That has nothing to do with him. Yeah. That's the experience and the stories that I lived. Mm. So that's what I need to unpack. And he has nothing to do with me unpacking that. Mm. So there's been several moments of forgiveness for him minus him. And yeah, I just kind of wonder if it'll ever involve him. And if it does, it does. And if it doesn't, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Because I'm unpacking it on my own and forgiving him. And that wasn't on the list of questions and topics, Lance. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I've just heard you. I've heard you talking about it a few times. So I'm like, I yeah. got to go there. So, all right, let's, let's walk you through a little bit of their journey. So we have a similar kind of story about you know the substances the drinking the drugs and all that kind of stuff so when you had you had your your kid you were young like walk us through your journey into your late teens early 20s or whatever like what did that look like for you i had my kid i wasn't going to be a statistic and uh Kayla was around, my daughter was a couple months old when I decided that I was leaving her father. He actually kicked us out of the house and it was more, I took it as a challenge. Like, oh, you're going to kick us out of the house. We're gone and I will be so busy that I never look back. And that was my big kind of fuck you to him, you know, and, and that's how I lived from 20 to 30. So busy that I couldn't feel a thing. And that was really a huge numbing mechanism for me. So I had my daughter, I was a uh, full-time student. So I put myself through college. I usually worked two and three jobs at a time, as well as um, head of household and raising her. So full-time student, two, three jobs, head of household, raising her. 
one of my jobs through my 20s, putting myself through college was at the bars. And I know we have this similar story. Mm. So I was at high end, I was at high end clubs, doing bottle service, um, making a lot of money, and money that holds like sand, right? Like easy come, easy go. You spend it as fast as you make it even dry sand, not even wet sand, just yeah. dry sand, just falling through your fingertips. So in order, um, I was a top sales waitress. I made the most money, the most tips. I was always on the high end tables cause you know, I had good service and I, I, I cranked it out. So in doing so you were encouraged to drink with your customers, the quicker the, the alcohol was consumed off the table, the quicker they would buy another bottle. Yeah. And that was my strategy. And so I really um, was a functioning alcoholic for a long time. Yeah. And you, you create that identity with that drunk, with that functioning alcoholic person too. Her name was Melanie Monroe. She had bleach blonde hair. She wore a little blue cocktail dress and uh, smoked cigarettes before and after every shift. Uh, sold the most alcohol, you know, I would count out blackout drunk quite often. Mm, yeah. And I don't even know how. So talk about highly functioning alcoholic. I was counting out tens of thousands of dollars blacked out. Yeah. And then managed to get home, you know? I know the feeling. I remember just like being in a nightclub and waking up the next day and you're like, oh shit, I just walked out. They're like, yeah, you, you walked out last night. I was like, what? <laughs> like, I'm like, what the fuck? And I wasn't the only one, but it happens. Like you get so sauced that you like literally leave. Hey, whatever <laughs> we do, we do it well, right? That's, that was such an insane industry. You know, there, there's a lot of things though in that industry that, that are positives too. Like we learn a lot of skills in that industry. I know I did. I, I try and look at it like, yeah, you know, now I look back and yeah, it was toxic, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of fun. There's a lot of good stuff. There's a lot of like really like learning. Fun. I have some great girlfriends yeah. from that, from that industry. And, and the girlfriends that I have from that time of my life, we were so blessed. I mean, we went in packs from club to club and we're still friends and they're the most beautiful, successful women that I know to date some of the women that I met out of that. So got some great friendships. I've got some great lessons and I've got some great clarity on who I am, who I was and you know, who, who I want to be mm. from that. Yeah. Yeah. I, as do I. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a challenging dance. I, in my own life going with that, I'm, I don't know how you, how you're doing these days with that. But for me, it was like, you know, challenging that going back to that old person is just so easy sometimes. So I, I have to like cut it out. You know, I've been almost two months now or whatever Corona started on the 11th. I haven't had a drink since then. So it's been like, it's almost been a blessing for me. Cause I'm like, it's given me the chance. Like the universe is like, here you go. No fucking excuses now. Like, <laughs> well, and I've also, it's like soft boundaries. I think we're really yeah. hard on ourselves around. Yeah. Okay. Like for me, yeah. I put myself through an outpatient program after my third DUI where I was right. like, you're fucking up your life. Yeah. You know, Walk us through that. How did, what? You're screwing up your life. And, um, the third DUI was really the, the pivotal point where I was, uh, 
it's interesting. I got, I got arrested in the only County in California that doesn't hold you for 30 to 60 days on a third. So, and the only reason I was in that County is because I was drunk and didn't know how I got on that freeway. Like wow. talk about somebody watching out for me that night without me watching out for myself, you know? Mm -hmm. So I remember that night because I went to jail. I found out I was in the only county that doesn't hold you on a third DUI. I was relieved. I didn't cry. I woke up in the morning, went and got up my car. I got released. I got my car out of impound and I laid in my bed and I'm like, you know what, Melanie? That's the first time that you sat in jail and you didn't cry. And what the fuck is wrong with you? When did this become like normal that you wouldn't even cry over this kind of experience? Mm. Just emotionless. And it was at that point that I realized that this is, this is not right. Um, I'm numbing a lot of things still and I need help. And so I got an outpatient, outpatient program to really kind of, that's when the digging started. I want to understand why I tick the way I talk, why I act and react. Why am I numbing? What am I numbing? Yeah. You know, like what's going on here? Um, and then it's funny, the first thing that, the first thing that came up in my outpatient program that I really had to unpack was uh, my relationship with my brother. And this outpatient program was 10 years ago. Mm. So the lesson keeps coming back around, right? Yeah. And I've heard you bring it up a few times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well well it's a journey it's it's a dance that we're in for a while so there's no rush there's always yeah. another layer yeah always there is no rush it's gonna come back around and you're gonna elevate the experience and you're gonna learn something new and if you think that you've done work on your inner child and you've got it all figured out you just wait there's another layer it's coming mm -hmm. and it'll be beautiful once you unpack that too yeah, it's you, you. Yeah, because you can. There's so many moments. There's so many things, simple things that could have happened that could have caused certain things. Like, how do you? Like, it's not necessarily. It could be something simple, but it's your emotional attachment to that thing that caused you to like really make you feel bad and like gravitate towards some sort of weird behavior. You know. Sometimes the bigger things maybe didn't trigger the much of an emotional response when it happened, but something smaller, like maybe somebody made fun of you or something in front of somebody and you like really took that to heart. And, and then like that was the thing. Went up. Yeah. And the protector went up so that you never yeah. feel that hurt again. But the problem with never feeling that hurt again is that you never feel again. You yeah. don't feel the hurt, but you don't feel the other end of the spectrum either, which is the love. Yeah. So you're protecting yourself from hurt and, and a byproduct of that is not feeling the love either. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but that's the, that's the beautiful thing about this. It's like discovering, you know, where was that? And, and when we, we were on Kyle Dow's uh, open loop last, you know, the, on the meetup there, the online meetup. I really got to the bottom of where this all started for me. And it was really? like, Oh shit, this is where it's like, this is where things, things kind of twisted around. And, and that, uh, that reflection to be able to go through, have a prompt and go and write it down is like, 
most people will never do that in their life. Mm-mm. Will never put themselves in that situation and get it down on paper and really reflect because it fucking made me feel like shit. I was like, oh my That's God. what I was going to ask you because how did that reflection make you feel? I felt, I wanted to share, but I was just so, I didn't know what to say. I'm like, whoa, like I'm actually realizing that this, this was the thing that, that stacked on the other thing of the other thing. And then before you know it, it's booze, it's, it's girls. It's like, who am I? And it's like a fucking. Who am I? It's it's crazy, right? And but then you know, as we go deeper, like I said a few minutes ago, it's like there was a lot of weird little things too along the way that I'm like, huh, the necessary, like the big things that happen, like when I think back, I'm like that. I don't know if that necessarily caused things, but sometimes it may have been the smaller things. And I'm starting to realize that somebody brought up to me, they were like, yeah, it's the emotional attachment to whatever happens. And how did you and how you felt from that experience? So that could have been something so subtle, but it made you just like feel so shitty as a kid. And you're like, oh, and then you, you know what I mean? And it's like, we get attached to our stories, but we also get attached to our protectors. Yeah. And I love that you said that because in deconstructing the foundation of love from that paternal parent and what that looked like and how love showed up. And deconstructing that, you know, just last weekend, I had an opportunity to allow love to show up in a different way, which was gently, right? And I fucking rejected it, man. I flinched, you know, my protector went up. Like my my child could feel that love was coming in. And the only thing that the ego knew to do was to throw up the wall, flinch and get it off me. Mm. As much as I am asking to, re, you know, I want love to show up gently. Then it does. And I'm attached to the old behavior. Yeah. So until I'm ready to react differently, I'm not going to get the message that I want. There is a funny meme about 2020 being the year that you let people in or something. And then it's like, I'm about to meet somebody now. And then, and then the coronavirus comes like, yeah, I forget what (laughs) I saw that. It's like, wait a minute, you're not ready yet. Yeah. Finally <laughs> started to start dating and then thanks, universe. I got a pandemic. I'm not ready to date, just by the way, just FYI. But I do get the meme. I feel it. <laughs> See, this is the thing that I wonder too. Is like, am I ready? Am I not? Do I wanna because somebody, you know, a good friend of mine, she's like, you know, you gotta be open to it as well at times. But then I'm like, wait a minute, like how do I know? Like, how do we know if we're ready or not? Because are we just closing something off? Like, how do we know if that person is meant for us to meet us at that point? Like, when well, are you actually like, hey, I'm ready? You I know? mean, when you're, let's, this, is, this is the dumbest analogy, but this is what's coming up for me. How do you know when you're an infant whether you like green beans or not? You, you slowly taste it. You slowly put it in your mouth. You probably spit it out a little bit. Like you Mm. don't just digest the experience differently. You don't just digest the taste of the experience differently. It's something that you ease your way into. But do you think that we can get attached to the story of not being ready as well though? Like that, that can, that can be the thing. Like I'm not fucking ready to meet anybody. This is me. (laughs) I'm, you know, but like, it's like, all right, I, I, this is why I love that you brought this up because you're how you're not ready. And I say the same, but then I'm like, wait a minute, who, who's, who's telling me I'm not ready here? 
I'm telling me I'm not ready. At what point am I going to stop telling myself that I'm not ready? Jesus. It's like, I know you're keeping me safe. Thank you. I I appreciate it. Not everybody's out to like, you know, hurt me here. So thank you. But it's not a saber tooth tiger. Yeah. Right. And then it's like, well, that's the, that's the dance too. It's like, who is, who is in control here? And Eric Godsey has an awesome thing in, in the journaling thing that we're doing. He talks about, I think he talks about that, having like the throne room and having the king or the queen. And it's like, you have the people in your throne room. Yeah. And it's like, who are you allowing to sit in the throne? Cause you got the different people. And yep. I'm like, I'm like, I loved it because it, it's so fascinating being like, especially when it comes to relationships, like who's, who's running the ship here right now? Is it the person that's like trying to stir up shit and they're scared? Or is it like, is it actually me (laughs) when I meet these people, you know? And it's just so interesting because I think those blocks, we get used to having the blocks and it's like, nope, I'm not ready. But then what is the thing that all of a sudden shifts? Like, and then here's the thing. Like if you, even if you say, I'm going to let go of the story of not being ready. And I'm going to start telling myself that I am ready. Yeah. Now you're like gung ho. I am ready, but now you have to practice and practicing involves letting people in. Mm, Yeah. You know, and that's something that we just might not know how to do at first. And so it's holding yourself with soft boundaries and with grace. Yeah. You know, and not being so hard on ourselves. Yeah. We don't know how to do this. There is no manual that was so given to us. Yeah. It's not like a step one, two, and three. It's a take two steps forward and then get knocked off your feet and get back up and try to do it again. Yeah. You know what's a really, what I've really enjoyed too, and you can probably agree with me, is having like, the thing that I love about Fit for Service too is I've been able to have friendships with people like the opposite sex like yourself and like and just just have like you know because for the longest time woman good looking woman meant maybe sex maybe something like maybe some sort of thing you know and there's always this agenda and i i know every all the guys listening and even women listening like we there's that weird thing and although like whatever i i just love knowing that like to, to have friends that you, you can be friends with and build a base. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, I'm not an idiot. Like, no, never, never. Like, you know what I mean? Closing all doors. But like, it's nice to have, to be able to build actual friendships with the opposite sex without that being. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, I've said it once and I've said it again. Like, I've had such intimate moments with the guys in our fit for service in a non-sexual way yeah. that my whole definition of intimacy in a sexual way has changed. Yeah, that's such I a felt point. that intimacy in a non-sexual way just over the threshold of what I've ever known that it could have been, you know? And um, yeah, I appreciate you guys a lot. <laughs> it's, it's really helping me reset that foundation because you guys are being gentle gentle with me. You guys are holding space. You know, I'm, I'm not just Melanie Monroe, the blonde, you know, sex object kind of, you know, the utility of me is is taken out of it. You're holding space for me just because you appreciate my essence, not because you are aimed at a utility for me to be useful in a certain way. Well, I completely relate because a lot of times too, with me, because of my, you know, because of the way I look, 
or because of the way I am or because of my past being an athlete or a bartender, automatically I'm always like that looked at like because I'm being nice or because I'm, I'm taking an interest, like there's an agenda. Yeah. And I guess, I guess that happens, but like, that's not always, that's not my now, especially that's not my objective when I have relationships now. Now I've learned to like, you know, I, I actually want to get to know this person. And I guess it's helped through having a podcast too, to be able to talk to people, but like having a group of powerful women and men, you know, like we are, it's so great to be able to have that and like, you know, not people, I don't know what people look at me for as I'm just assuming people don't see that I'm like trying to look at them in that way, you know? And that's refreshing because I've, my whole life, it's like, oh, you're just trying to fuck me or something. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm actually like, you know, I like having girlfriends too. Yeah. I find myself in that dance actually, where now that I know that I can have a foundation with men based on what I've experienced with the fit for service guys, you take that into the real world and you meet a guy and you're like, okay, cool. And establish this friendship and their, their, their headspace just isn't there. You know, it's, it's right into, I want her as some type of utility. Um, I want to have sex with her. I want her as a girlfriend. I think she's amazing. She's all these things. And it's like their mind goes over, over the boundary of what I'm trying to create right now. Yeah. You know, and so it's hard from that end too, because you're trying to experience it in a different way, but outside in that, the other world, yeah, it, can, even, it keeps coming back to you in the same way. Even having the conversations like invite or like the, the, the verbiage that we use, like you, you notice it's very, in our community, it's like very, like, a lot of people speak the same. We kind of pick up the same lingos, Yeah, but then you go and you speak to people in you know outside or acquaintances and it's it's a totally different thing we're assuming that they're gonna know what we know and yeah sometimes i'm like why don't you know that but i'm like well you know (laughs) (laughs) i mean i guess that's just that's how it is too and as that's what's beautiful too is about this group or just in general is that the more that i'm learning the more I realize I don't know shit about anything. And that gets me excited. Not not upset, but I'm like, my vocabulary needs to, not needs, that's wrong. It's like I'm excited to improve because I'm surrounding myself with winners. Right. Yeah. And that's only going to allow you to become a winner as well. So you look at your friend circle, you look at the people that we talk to on a daily basis. Look at all the people. Like we're always connected. All of us are connected all the time, one way or another. You know, we're getting on calls, we're on chats or whatever. And it's like, when I hear these people speak, I'm like, wow, like, I have a lot to learn, but it's exciting. Lots of books to read. You know, you hear Aubrey, you hear Kyle, you hear Caitlin, you hear Eric. You're just, I'm just like, holy fuck. And even guys like Kave speaking, I'm like, this guy's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> a couple things coming up for me right now. It's like one, uh, Kyle Kingsbury, said, I think it was Kingsbury. He said something like that somebody else said, and I don't remember, and I might slaughter it. But the gist of it is that there is an immense and endless amount of things to know in this world. And you are never going to know any or everything. So just stop, just stop trying to know anything. Like just be with it because there's so many things, the potential of all the knowingness, like you're never going to be able to conceptualize it all. So stop thinking that you know everything because it's just no way. Yeah. That's one thing coming up, but also back to the relationships thing. It's like, you're going to, 
you're going to lose some people along the way too. Yeah. And you have to be okay with that. Those aren't the right people to practice on. Yeah. Those people kind of drift away because they're like, Ooh, that, that causes me to have to change. I don't want to change. I don't want to change. Are you okay for time by the way? Totally fine. Okay, good. Cause I, I'm, 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 I'm liking this. There's stuff that I want to keep going with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's it, because that's the thing is like a lot of people, if they resist, it's because they know that that means they have to change. And, and a lot of people aren't okay with that. <laughs> well, the people that were in your life prior to this awakening, awareness, the digging, call it what you want, call it, call it the therapy. If that's, if that's how you can digest it. Right. Yeah. People that were in your life prior to the therapy, they might not fit into the new you after the therapy, after the moment, after the awakening. And I'll give you a perfect example. It, it literally just happened last night. I'm sitting here painting at my house and I get a text from a guy and he's like, you know, what's up? What are you doing? And he's a guy that I've known throughout the years, you know, and we don't, we don't really hang out, hang out much, but he popped into my phone last night. And he's like, what are you doing? And I was painting this moth picture back here behind me that's Beautiful. drying right now. Yeah, thank you. I, uh, I don't think it's perfect, but I loved the process of making it. And that's, that's where it resonates with me, that the process was beautiful. So in the process, I'm painting, I'm listening to my country music because I love country music. And he texts me and he's like, what's up? I'm like, nothing, I'm just painting. He's like, well, what are you going to do tonight? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm painting. Like, I just yeah. edit. You know? <laughs> like, and he goes, well, are you going to be up late? I'm like, listen, you can come over if you want, but I'm, pa I'm painting. I have country music on and I don't feel like getting pummeled tonight. So that's where I'm at. And so if you want to come into my space, I'm setting the boundaries. I'm setting the expectations of, of where I'm at mentally and how you showing up is not going to disrupt that. If you enter my space, this is what you're entering. Country music, painting, soft, gentle, no pummeling, don't want any part of it at all. And he wasn't interested in coming after that. Mm. You know, and boundaries. And he's a very aggressive person him his himself. He he does jujitsu for a living. He's like, he's very he fights for a living. And so you have to go back to thinking about how I want love to show up gently and then that's not what he can give. So in setting that boundary, he no longer wanted to be a part of that, of, of that experience of my life. Um, that's, you know, and that's how it's going to be moving forward. He no longer fits in it. Mm. I have to be okay with that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the nature of the beast of the growth, right? I was like, that's awesome. It's, you know? and yeah, it's crazy when you start to change. And this is why like we can relate so much because you know, the, the, the person in the bar industry, the restaurant industry and who you attract in the crowd that you're with is so different. Like for me, the, I still, oh, it's funny you say I, that he was the old bar back from the, from I still, I still want to be like, do I still got it? Like, do I still, so like, you know, like, yeah. then, like I find myself, I'm more attracted to people who are are aligned with with my energy and where i'm going you know like you yoga of the world and, and yeah. meditation and that kind of stuff what's that when you ask yourself do i still got it 
Do you find yourself answering yourself, but I don't even want it? Yeah, this is the thing. You know? Because I got so much validation from that guy for so many years, and because I accomplished, I got to travel, I got to do a lot of things. Not specifically because, but I got a lot of, a lot of things happened from that. So that moving on from that has been a challenge because I did have a lot of fun in that. Yeah. I just knew in my soul, Mm -hmm. in my soul that there's more. And I've always had that feeling deep down. I've always like, I'm destined to do something greater. So I would get depressed and numb myself because I knew I was fucking throwing my life down the toilet. And I knew I was poisoning people for a living, not knocking the industry. I love the industry, everybody. I love it. But I'm like, I love these humans. I'm connecting with these humans. But what am I connecting them with? Here you go. Drink some poison. Have a good night. Like, fuck that. I want to connect with people and actually impact their life. That was the thing that went off for me. And when I got out of that, I was like, what is the thing I enjoy about bartending? You know, connecting to these people. I love the craft of art, which is making a drink. I got very good at that. Just like cooking, just like any sort of art. I really took pride in it. Right. You know, I worked for the Four Seasons. I was very good at it at one point, but I really enjoyed the human connection. I, I was like, I want to share that connection with people, but I want it to be over something that's not this thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, you know, shit that doesn't matter. I want to connect with things like this, like really that matters. Right. You know? yeah. Right. But you knew how to be a leader in a certain community, and now you're figuring out how to be a leader in a different community. And so it's that whole deconstruct, it's that process of elimination, right? You have to eliminate everything that you thought you knew to be true in order to build yourself up into into this new individual process of elimination, right? It takes time because there's still, just like for yourself, when you meet people, you probably are like, huh. That's, that's kind of like that person that I used to, that, that would maybe fulfill one desire of that person. But then it's like, but is that going to serve my soul or is that serving my like, ego? Is it fulfilling the desire <laughs> or is it fulfilling the protector? You yeah. Know? Because, or is it, filling the, is it filling the wounded child? Like I had another experience where it was a couple weeks ago and I hadn't heard back from a couple, a certain individual in a couple weeks. And I'm like, I was having a lot of pressure of not feeling like I belonged in my occupational space that day. And so I decided to reach out to him in a very toxic manner. And I called him and I started a fight, you know, and I have to ask myself, how old is that person that's starting the fight with him? And what was I trying to get out of it? That child was trying to get attention out of it. And that child was trying to get attention in any way that she knows how. And how does she know how? By throwing a fucking fit, right? She's a brat, right? Yeah. So I picked a fight and I, and, and uh, I really had to like sit with that, man. Like what was showing up that day? How old yeah. was that person that reached out to that? toxic behavior for fulfillment yeah yeah one of the one of the characters which character was owning the throne that day yeah like in in and you you name you you name those characters too like it's like hey like how you do it like you know it's 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 funny when you can really get clear unpack that because the understanding of that is so fucking cool yeah it is 
And then you don't beat yourself up because you're like, oh, that was just the acceptance comes in and you're not like, I'm so stupid. Why would I do that? Blah, blah, blah. You become more gentle on yourself because you're like, oh, all right. Well, that's just objectively. I feel like I actually looked at it with the self and I was not fulfilled by the interaction. And in Uh, the past, I would have been fulfilled by the interaction. mm. And so I was not fulfilled by the interaction. It's almost as if objectively myself had a conversation with the ego where the ego was like, well, I don't know what the fuck you want me to do now. Like that's how you can work. Yeah. <laughs> you can work, you know? Yeah. And the self is like, well, it didn't work. And the child's like, I'm not fulfilled, you know? Like yeah. this three-way conversation where it was like, all right, guys, now we all need to get together and learn that we need a new way. Yeah. We need to understand what the new way looks like. So everybody just pump your brakes. Yeah. Everybody just chill out. Everybody just pump your brakes, chill out. We're all get along here. We're, we're all going to get along. We're that's all in quarantine together. It's essentially what's happening. Like our brains, we're all in quarantine all the time together. Let's get yeah. along. That no longer that no longer works. So let's all take a seat at the round table and figure out what's going to yeah. work moving forward. Yeah. It is a process of calling yourself out, man. What are you up to these days? Because let's talk about your art and what you got going on because I know that you're, you're, you're ticking some boxes and it's exciting to see and it, I, I love it. So yeah, walk us so, through like everything right now. and Yeah, yeah. Past, the, uh, past the bartending life and graduating college, I ended up in corporate and I've been in corporate for like 10 years. Yeah. So sorry to my corporate folks who watch this um, <laughs> podcast because it's not corporate. Definitely not. Right. Anyways, um, so I've been in corporate for 10 years and I've been, again, I was head of household. So I was fitting these roles that I felt that I should play, graduate college, go to corporate, you know, um, and drive by the deliverables of everything that the masks and roles and responsibilities told me to be. So fit in the box for being head of household, fit in the box for your corporate life, fit in the box for your motherhood. And here's your deliverables. Here's what you need to do. So in quarantine, I got furloughed. So I'm, I'm don't have to work right now. And I've stripped away and my daughter actually doesn't live with me right now. So I have no motherhood. I have no head of household. I have no corporate job. Like I have none of these roles that gave me the deliverables to drive by on a daily basis. So I really, I want to say I found myself lost, but I feel like lost has a negative connotation attached. I felt like it was an opportunity to strip away everything and resettle back into my body and a schedule of what my body wanted to do. So the alarm clocks that used to get me up at 5 a.m. for fasted cardio got turned off because I didn't have to then go to my job after. So um, yeah, now it's like reconstructing that schedule based on how I feel and what's going to fit in it. And what's come up for me is Whereas in my 20s, I was really heavily in my masculine, the doer role, the implementation, the, you know, the busyness, the competitiveness. I was very competitive on myself. Like you could do better, you could do better, you could do better. And that was the 10 years of that life. Now I feel like I'm really diving into my feminine in this opportunity. And I'm really leaning into intuition and everything that the divine feminine kind of represents. Intuition, creativity all knowing, all receiving, all accepting, you know, just soft, gentle, and 
visceral decision makings and in, in intuition has been has been cool to to re-understand that I have the capability to listen to my intuition. Cause I think that I lost that capability to tap into it with all the roles and masks and hats and deliverables I was wearing based on circumstance. So nowadays I get up at seven, make my coffee, I journal, I do meditation, I go to the park or on a hike for a couple hours every day. And I've reset my schedule. I actually started painting, not because I'm a painter. So I love writing. Writing is my thing. In my early 20s, I wrote my memoirs that I never published when I wanted to influence young teenage moms that they didn't need to be a statistic. And I have all that content. Now I started writing my second book, which is my so-called corporate life and everything that that entails with inner critic and imposter syndrome and how archetypes show up in the workplace and how I can influence young women in business to take a seat at the table and to own their voice and to really drive in kind of a um, you know, masculine dominant setting. It's basically what corporate is. So writing is my passion, but writing is creativity with the anticipation of production and consumption thereafter. So I've been tapping into painting just to paint because that's a creative outlet just to be creative, not in anticipation of anybody consuming it after. So there's so, so you could be creative in two separate lights. You can be creative for production and consumption, or you can be, you can create just to create. And I found that in creating just to create, I've really moved some energy in my body in that divine feminine of like, uh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do next? You know? So resetting my schedule, painting just to paint, making sure I get out and active every day is really helping me drive this path of developing this public speaking platform that I would like to get to in my next chapter of life. So, so yeah, man, it's just, it's really cool because last week I onboarded my professional development coach and my website development team and having that, having that confidence to lean intuition really gives me permission to invest in myself based on what I feel is right. And then putting monetary value into the team's the fellowships, the masterminds, the website developments that are going to help me drive to that next mm. um, chapter in life. So I'm loving this pandemic because it's giving me the freedom to feel myself out and feel where I'm going next based on intuition, not based yeah. on the circumstance of a job or whatever, you know? Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, totally. And it's going to be really interesting even you know, because I talked to a lot of people from 2008 that lost everything and there, it's going to be really interesting to unpack this whole thing and just see like, not just focus on what people lost, but what people gained from this thing. There's going to be a lot of people like five years from now that are creating fucking machines from this time. And it's exciting because it's a time either to, to slow down and reflect, connect to the arts, connect to the things, connect to yourself. Or it's a time step on the gas in other areas that maybe you weren't before. And that's why it's beautiful. And that's what I would ask you. That's, I've actually been contemplating on that a lot. It's like the loss, right? Is it really yeah. a loss if there's a gain on the other exactly. side of that threshold of uncertainty? 
Exactly. It's really not a loss. No. And a lot of people are in anticipation of a gain on the other side of that threshold of of what's uncertain right now. It's putting it's that's the thing. It's like the good or the bad. It doesn't exist. It's all how you look at it because all the time, most times the bad thing that we call bad has a reward. (laughs) Nothing good comes from just things going smooth all the time. Unfortunately, you got to go through some shit and it's always the same. And that's why it's exciting because there are going to be a lot of people that there's so much positivity out of this time. And I encourage everybody, everyone listening, like really, really embrace the positivity of it because there is a, there is a lightness to it also. Like the earth is cleaning itself up. Like, you, you know, there's so many things happening that we don't get shown on social media or the news because they don't want you to fucking feel good. They want you to be scared. They want you to feel like less than that. You need to go do this and that and freak out. And it's like, well, no, like, this is such a good time for, and I love, this is why I wanted to highlight this because I know you're thriving in this time. So I much. I know man. you're thriving. So yeah. much, man. It's just beautiful. Like I'll go on a hike in the hills behind my house Yeah. and I'll put my earphones in and I literally will find myself dancing mm. and playing and skipping and just really like, there's no time constraint. It's not like, hey, I got an hour on the mountain, then I need to get home to go do this, that, and the other. No, man. Like, I'll find next thing I know, three hours of flat have passed, and I've been dancing on the trails. That's amazing. You know what I mean? Like, it's just awesome. And in, in dancing on the trails, like, think about that expression. Yeah. That that creative energy that I'm evoking within my body. I'll come home and write the best chapter. That's amazing. Because I had that creative, expressive outlet just for the sake of creating and being expressive, not for the sake of production or consumption. What I'm doing creatively for production and consumption, that it it's a byproduct of the other stuff of the dancing and the skipping and the painting and the the moving of the creative energy just for the sake of of being creative. Well, all that stuff is going to feed into if you've got a business too, you know, if you're going to be unbalanced and just do the full hustle mode, you're screwing yourself. You need that balance. This is what I've I've really realized as well in my life. And I try to encourage everybody to really figure out, start working on the arts, start exploring that soft side, because that's going to make you better at the masculine side of like the working hard. And it's, it's going to allow you to manifest things better too. And when I let go of shit, that's when things just flow in. And I'm like, what? I didn't even, I wasn't even trying. And then that happened. But when I'm trying, it's like everything goes bad. And yeah. when you start to soften up and you start to explore like these different things in the arts and especially in our community here, a lot of people are into the artsy stuff. That is going to be the stuff that's sought after later on because we were programmed so much to do the things that made us, to make money for the job, for the corporate, whatever through them for that model. But like now the creativity, the arts, that's like what lights people's souls on fire. You know, like that's what's really what is going to change the world is seeing people light up from the things that they actually enjoy doing. So if you can do that and then have your business or tie them together somehow, then you're only going to be better at that business or that whatever you're doing. The divinity lives within yourself. We have divine masculine and we have divine feminine within ourselves, And there has to be a balance between the two. 
And so within that divine feminine lives creativity. And within that divine masculine lives implementation. And guess what, man? You got to create before you implement. And you've got to find that balance. And you've got to know when it's time to create and then when it's time to hand off to implement. Right. Because then when you find that balance within yourself, you no longer seek it from other. And then you no longer fall, fall into these codependency wheels of external validation from other because you're searching for the divinity that's not within yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And also it's like, there's also a time. Yeah. Like you consume, you learn, and then there's a time to do the application. There's a lot of people who consumers and they're not producers like they consume 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 but then they don't ever do and it's like it's a dangerous thing too right like there's a time where yeah yeah you can get stuck in the wheel of consumption i've actually found myself in that wheel a couple times where like that wheel lasted for two years and at some point i'm i kind of started beating myself up like at what point are you going to stop consuming and start Mm. producing but it was my time to consume. It was I, your time, right? I had, a, I had like two, three years of just pure consumption of trying to learn how to be different. And that's when I really tapped into this visceral decision-making, yeah. uh, which, which has been just amazing for me to, to find my intuition again. Yeah. What's been, just a, we'll, we'll wrap it up here in a couple of minutes. What's, what's been your most impactful book that you've read up to date? Because I know there's been a shitload of books that we've yeah. been I don't know how people read them so fast or if they do, or if they're just like, I'm like, am I the only slow reader around here? I even asked Kyle on our coaching call. I was like, dude, all right, how do you get through these books so fast? I am a very slow reader. And I usually read like, I have three to five books on my nightstand at a time. And depending on what mood I'm in is what I'll grab at night. But I have been studying um, my, my mantra, my word of 2020 is vulnerability because I feel like I have blocks there. So we're going to make that my mantra and I'm going to really lean into being vulnerable in 2020. With that said, Brene Brown, this is the queen of studying, you know, vulnerability. Um, she's a researcher of, of shame, right? <laughs> so amazing. Daring Greatly, I just finished. And I love that book, Daring Greatly. It's, it's not on the top list of any of ours within the fellowship. It is on the list, but I don't think anybody else is reading it right now. But that's what's called to me. And so when you, when you say that, I really just makes me think of read the book that's called to you in that moment. Totally. The the bookshelf's alive. It's a living thing. It's alive. It's a library or whatever. (laughs) That's a cause. He's like, it's a living thing. It's an organism. And it's like, I look up at my books and I'm like, there's some I haven't read, but I just don't want to read it right now. There's some that I'm like, I need to read that. And you know what being called to it is? That's your intuition, man. Yeah. You know, so we're diving into these things every day and every decision that we make without even knowing. No, it's crazy. So to develop some awareness that that's what you're doing, you can really pat yourself on the back there that you're diving into it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Amazing, amazing conversation. I'm so glad that we got to connect. Yeah, me too. I know time flies. Where, um, where can everybody find you? Where's the best place to check you out? And what can they look forward to? Uh, when's your book coming out, Mel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm on a 30-day fast track to launch the website. So that's what I'm focused on right now. Um, the book, probably within the next six months. Um, you can find me on Instagram in the meantime, Melanie underscore 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 joy. So Melanie Joy with three underscores in between on Instagram is pretty much where you can find me now. Cool. Do you know the name of the website for the show notes? 
Or are you going to be MelanieJoySpeaks.com. Perfect. perfect. Melanie Joy Speaks. It's under construction right now. So that's all right. perfect. But when this comes out, it'll probably be almost ready to go. So that's good. And people yeah. will hear this after it's out. Perfect. Amazing. What is one out of all the things you've gone through? What is one lesson that adversity has taught you? To keep diving in. You just, you keep diving into the adversity. You need to, you need to understand discern. You need to have discernment between paths of resistance. You need to have discernment towards resistance, you know, and some is healthy resistance and others is resistance that you just shouldn't be maneuvering towards. And to know the difference between the healthy resistance and the unhealthy resistance. And when you can tap in into it intuitively into leaning in to that healthy resistance, that's where you're going to fly, man. So if that adversity, like I don't feel comfortable getting on a podcast because I have a block with vulnerability, like that's where you dive in. Yeah. You know, so I would say lean into adversity with discernment and momentum towards the healthy resistance. Amazing. <laughs> Love it. Again, yeah. thank, thank you so much. I can't wait to see what you create. It's so exciting to see what you're up to. You have so much potential. You have so much in you. I think we all have books in us. And, yeah. you know, from, from the next few years, like I think we're all going to create amazing things. And I can't wait to see what you create now. Yep. Your meal plan's the next thing I'm doing. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> we didn't we'll even it. talk about fitness, but that's okay too. That's all right. We'll get into that next time. Next time. All right, Lance. Thank Th you. Thanks everybody. Hope you guys got lots of value from that. If you can screenshot this, share it on Instagram. Let us know what you think. Hit that subscribe button on Apple. You stay on top of it. It's free. And I don't want you guys to miss anything. We got lots of amazing people coming up. We got lots of inspiring content. Keep your ears, keep your eyes open. I love you guys. Have an amazing day. We'll catch you next time.